Revolutionary.org podcast coming away, episode 472. Steve Schmee and the Rickster, Ricky V. Rock. How's it going, man? Hey, what's up, Steve? What's up, Gas? How's everybody doing out there? Not much. So another episode, we're going to do a flashback episode. We're going to go back, bring you some episodes that we did in the past. We have a couple for you today. So the one I want to present to you guys and gals out there is a very important podcast. I felt it was very important, got a lot of views, very popular, a lot of comments, and it's episode 376, Drugs and Steroids for Endurance. And the reason I chose that one is because a lot of people, you know, over the years have hopped on steroids, hopped on different types of drugs, and they've killed their cardio. They killed their endurance. They were bicyclists. They were runners. They were swimmers. They like triathlons. They like to do um, a lot of things outdoors, even going kayaking or canoeing. And I'm guilty of it too. And you take steroids, you take the wrong steroids and you kill your endurance. And it, it is no fun at all. So this is the episode to listen to. If you're into the outdoors, you're into mountain climbing, you're into mountain biking, you're into swimming, all this good stuff that we, you know, we love being active, right? This is the episode to listen to if you want to excel at that and not hurt yourself. So that's the one I, I want to go back and, uh, and rehash again. How about you, Rick? Uh, I'm going to take on a very popular topic that uh, we get on the forums quite a lot. And this one, uh, it's, a, it's a Q&A, but there's a, a question in there for... Uh, steroids for men over 50 so steroids for men over 50 podcast 321 a q a i think is a good uh episode uh to add and uh that's it so uh what do you think steve without further ado yeah and that's a very important one too because we're all gonna get older right so we're all gonna be over 50 so at some point you're gonna have to change your strategy to this so that's a very important one to go over Let's hit it. Evolution.org podcast coming your way, guys. We're doing another compound episode. This time we're going to talk about endurance steroids. This is episode 376. Steve Smee here and the Rickster. What's up, buddy? Hey, what's up, Steve? What's up, guys? How's everybody doing out there? All right, guys. So these endurance steroids, a lot of people... They are under the uh, misconception that, yeah, if you just run steroids, you're going to get faster. You're going to have more endurance. And that's not the case. Uh, but in this episode, we're going to talk about there are some steroids and some compounds. We're going to throw it that actually do help endurance that you can go to if you're an endurance athlete. So let's get to the first one. Number one steroid for endurance, guys. This blows everyone away is equipoise, EQ, boldenone. And here's why EQ is really good for endurance. It's EQ does what most anabolic steroids do well, and that's raise your red blood cell count. Raise your red blood cell count, help oxygen get through your body more efficiently. So you're going to have a better wind, right? You're going to have more endurance, muscle endurance, cardio endurance. But unlike other steroids, equipoise does not aromatize as much as some steroids, very little to none, no aromatization, because it aromatizes very slowly. So you're not going to get that big rush of aromatization like you would take in Dianabol, for example, which 
aromatizes into estrogen and gives you a lot of water retention right off the bat. Like within three, four days, you'll notice water retention from Debo for that reason. Equipoise doesn't do that. So you're not going to be running and having to carry jugs of water on your back. That's a good thing, right? So that covers that. You don't have to worry about that. Because if you try running with jugs of water on your back, it's not going to be a fun experience. The second reason why Equipoise is so good for endurance is pumps. It doesn't give you the crippling pumps that a bunch of other steroids give you. So if you're running and your calves, back of your lower legs, front of your lower legs, start giving you a pump, right? feels like a balloon in your leg about to explode. That's not going to help your endurance now, is it? So that's why Equipoise doesn't, you don't get those crippling pumps on Equipoise. Really, really good for endurance. So that's the cool thing about Equipoise, guys. So Equipoise, you get the good benefits of steroids without the negative side effects of steroids. And that's why Equipoise is actually a good option for endurance. You'll notice a good little endurance improvement with, with Equipoise. And I, I've experienced it myself. So that's my number one choice when it comes to endurance. And Rick and I, we agree on that, right, Rick? Yeah, you agree with Equipoise? Tell us a little bit about your experiences. Equipoise is great. It doesn't cause uh, some of the shin splint and muscle pumps problems that I've experienced with D-ball and Trambolone and some of these other steroids. And you can feel a difference in your in endurance levels with Equipoise. Like everything, if you overdo it, it'll start to have some counterproductive effects like every steroid if you are looking for nice good endurance then stay under a gram of juice once you start going over a thousand milligrams of combined steroids this is when a lot of the side effects that inhibit performance start to come in you know unless you're just lifting heavy you know any other activities you engage in you're going to lose some mobility. You're going to lose some endurance. You're just not going to be as good once you get up into the high dosing. But low amounts of equipoise will help endurance. I mean, it's just, it's been tried and true. All right, guys. So, yeah, give give EQ a, a, a chance next time. Next time you want to run something for endurance, give EQ a chance. I would do EQ uh, probably about 300 milligrams a week. And just by itself, just try it by itself. You want to boost your endurance. You could run maybe a small TRT dose of testosterone, but don't run too much testosterone. That's what we're going to get into on the next, next one, testosterone. Now, again, with the testosterone, you got to be careful because testosterone does aromatize into estrogen. So if you're running testosterone and you're running too much of it versus an AI that you're running or you're running too much of it in general, it's going to, it's going to, cause water retention in the body. So if you're running, obviously it causes water retention. It's also going to cause pumps. If you're not running at a moderate dose or higher, it's going to cause pumps. We don't want that either. So, but if you're on testosterone, this is where testosterone plays a role. And this is, this is my opinion. Let's say you've got low testosterone levels. Okay. You got low testosterone levels and you're trying to improve with running, right? If you were to go on a TRT dose of testosterone, let's say hundred milligrams a week, 125 milligrams a week at the most, you'll notice your endurance actually improves on testosterone. We've seen that anecdotal evidence. And, you know, we've seen that with people who have struggled with low testosterone for years and years. They got on test uh, uh, TRT and then they're like, wow, 
I have more endurance now. I'm more, more, I can go longer in the gym and et cetera. So you get that reaction. But for everyone else, if you got normal testosterone levels as it is, and you run, let's say 500 milligrams of testosterone a week, it's not going to help your endurance. It's going to hurt your endurance. So that's a no-no. So at the end of the day, if you run the testosterone properly at a low dose, it can boost your testosterone. It can boost your endurance because it's going to boost your testosterone levels to a normal level and you'll feel normal and you'll get, you know, you get those benefits of red blood cell counts and stuff. So again, it kind of transfers. I'd run a little, I'd run the EQ, maybe three, 350, 400 milligrams a week, and then run a little testosterone in there. And you'll get a nice endurance boost, running them together. But if you overdose on the testosterone, if you run too much, once you start running closer to 200 milligrams, 300 milligrams, 400 milligrams, testosterone, you're going to get that water retention. You're going to get that increase in heart rate, which is going to hurt your cardio. You're going to get those side effects, those androgenic side effects start kicking in. I've always said testosterone at a low dose is not considered an androgenic steroid if you run at a proper low dose. But if you run at moderate dose or higher, it does turn into an androgenic steroid. Anything that messes with your heart is going to mess with your endurance negatively. So that's why Equipoise we started out with is not an androgenic steroid. And I neglected to mention that, but that's important because it doesn't mess around with your heart. So you can keep your resting heart rate low and you can push yourself when you tap into your, you get your heart rate up during cardio, but it doesn't get too high where it actually slows you down. So you have a maximum heart rate that your body can hit. But if you run too much of the wrong steroids, you're going to tap that maximum heart rate very, very quickly. And that will prevent you from going faster. Just like a car engine, it's got the RPM spinning. If you run that RPM engine up into the red, you start messing up your engine. Your car can't go faster anymore. So it's all about, it's kind of like a torque. It's kind of like a Tesla. You have that strong torque with a Tesla. It's the same thing. You want the torque when it comes to endurance. We don't want to wear out our heart in the process. So testosterone, good for endurance, only at a proper dosage, do not overdose. And you can definitely test that out yourself if you want. So I'm going to bring in Rick. How does testosterone help you with endurance, Rick? Testosterone, like you said, is great as long as you don't use too much. Once you use too much, you begin to have some of the pumps and some of the other side effects that you get from the other steroids. Also, once you get up there in, in dosing four, five, six hundred milligrams of testosterone, you're going to get some aromatization, which is going to cause your blood pressure to rise is one of the side effects of, of having high estrogen is water retention and your blood pressure goes up. So... I guess this can go almost for every steroid out there. The performance aspects of steroids are at the lower dosing. Again, that's if you're not a power lifter. If you're a power lifter, you can, you can stack on a good bit of steroids for that one rep you're supposed to do, and you're fine. Bodybuilders, where you're not required to perform, just look a certain way, you go up pretty high. But if you're running, fighting, pedaling, doing anything like that, you're going to find that the performance aspects of any steroid, especially testosterone, 
are in the lower range. 200 to maybe three to 400 megs. 400 megs if you are starting off with really low testosterone to begin with. But if you have normal levels of testosterone, a couple hundred megs will do you. And then you might not need an anti-estrogen because once estrogen begins to get high, as I mentioned earlier, get some water retention, high blood pressure. So that's it, man. Just a, a very low amount of testosterone will be enough to really improve your performance. And if you are a world-class athlete, if you, if you know one out there, just a little bit of testosterone will shave a second here, second there, increase recovery after a workout here, increase recovery after a workout there. And that can really tip the scales from you maybe not taking podium to being in the first place, being able to get more repetitions in, in your training, being able to come in day after day to your training pretty well recovered, being able to shave off seconds, you know, being able to recover faster, pedaling up a hill or shit, even if you're fighting, able to just hold on to that submission just a little bit longer, just a few seconds longer than you would have otherwise. But again, all of those Performance aspects are in the lower, very lower, lower range of the dosing. Once you go up higher, it, then it starts to become counterproductive for anybody else other than a power lifter or just a, a bodybuilder physique competitor slash. The next one we're going to talk about, guys, is HGH, human growth hormone. Lance Armstrong, he's famous for getting busted for, for uh, growth hormone. And he admitted in an interview that he did use growth hormone. He also admitted that he used EPO. Now, EPO, we don't, we're not going to talk about EPO on this podcast because it's a very dangerous compound to mess with. And, you know, this podcast is for the best stuff to use for endurance. And EPO, in my opinion, is not, is not a good one to use. It's obsolete these days. So we're yeah, EPO, EPOGEN is what it's called. It's, yeah, I mean, if you compare it to, we're going to talk about SARMs a little bit. If you compare it to something like GW, it really is obsolete at this point since GW has been on the yeah. scene. It's the much risk, safer, more effective. The risk versus reward makes absolutely no sense. It'd be, it'd be like equivalent to blood doping, basically taking, extracting blood out of your body and putting it back before the competition. It's not necessary to do that anymore, guys. These things that we're talking about are going to increase your red blood cell count. Testosterone EQ will increase your blood, red blood cell count. So there's no reason to blood dope or use EPO anymore. So that's why we're going to, I wanted to mention it, but we're not going to talk about it in this podcast. I don't want you guys messing with it. But what, what Lance Armstrong does admit is human growth hormone. And human growth hormone is, is basically what our bodies produce, um, you know, when we're young, obviously going through, you know, our younger age, as we get older, really like in our teenage years, early twenties, as we get older, our human, our human growth hormone starts dropping as we age. Now, human growth hormone, the reason it's so good for endurance is recovery. That's the number one reason. Because what happens is when you're an endurance athlete, and a lot of you guys out there, you just weight train, you don't do much cardio, or you do some cardio like on the elliptical or on a treadmill or something like that, but you don't do any hard endurance. Endurance training is extremely rough on the body, okay, much more so than weight training. And with endurance, the key with endurance training is recovery. 
because the quicker you can recover from your endurance train training that day, the quicker you can be back out there the next day. You don't want to have to rest the next day. You want to be out there again, getting it going. Okay. Again, it's like the RPMs in your car. You want to get that spin in as much as possible to train your body because that's how you're going to get your win. That's how you're going to increase your endurance. It's not like weight training, weight training. You're putting stress on your muscle. Okay. But with endurance, you're trying to basically build up that rhythm, that circle, that certain that circadian rhythm. Okay. With, with your heart, you want to get your heart stronger. You want to be able to push faster and longer. Okay. So a human growth hormone is essential to recovery. If you, again, we go back to the testosterone example, if you got low human growth hormone, which will happen once you get into your forties and fifties, your human growth hormone starts dropping. If you got low levels, it's going to get harder and harder you from the recover. So that hard training session you did where you ran 10 miles, okay, you know, at 50 years old running 10 miles, you're going to need a day to rest before you're back out there pushing again. But when you're 20, you can push that 10 miles the next day and go back and do interval training, do a 600-meter interval training session, eight on, eight off. Okay, but once you get to 40, 50 years old, it's not so simple. So here's that's where HGH comes into play. So if you got low HGH levels, running HGH is really going to be really helpful uh, for your endurance. And that's why guys do it who are endurance athletes, the cyclists and runners and stuff. That's why they mess with it. But you got to run it the correct way because if you run it incorrectly, it can give you a lot of water retention. So typically with HGH, we first start running it, you might get some water retention that goes away. But it just boils down to you want to run good quality HGH, maybe two or three IUs at the most. I would not exceed three IUs. That then becomes counterproductive. But it's again, it gets to the point where if you can get the eight HGH levels in your body where you're a 20 year old at 50 or at 40, that's going to help you recover quicker, repair quicker, and you'll be out there again, ready, ready to rock and roll. So, Rick, I'll bring you on HGH. Uh, tell us a little bit about HGH. So HGH, uh, a big difference between that and some of the other drugs we have discussed and are going to discuss next is that HGH is not really a game day drug. You know, uh, having the HGH in your body the day of competition, it's not going to be as conducive to high performance as having the higher testosterone or the EQ in your body the day of competition or having definitely taking your GW your cartering, the day of competition. HEH really shines as a practice drug, as a drug that you take, like Steve said, you take for training. You, you train to your fullest, your body recovers, and you come back the next day to do it again. HEH helps promote the repair and growth and strengthening of your tendons, your joints, your muscles. It really... If you're training hard, giving it your all, that that additional human growth hormone in your system will help to just make sure your body is adapting to the training. Your body is, is enhancing with the training. And really, that's where HEH really shines. You could potentially use the human growth hormone all the way up to the week of competition and then just cut it out a few days before, not use it the day off. And you still have most of the benefits that you gained using the growth hormone all those months. Your tendons, your joints, 
muscles will still be just strong and, and thick and just as prime for, for performance, for specific performances they were when you were taking the HGH. And that's, that's something really different as opposed to like GW or even the androgens. I guess you could use testosterone in that, in that way for some, for some uh, sports and EQ. If you're a tested athlete EQ, you don't want to take because EQ is going to be detectable for up to a year as a tested athlete. It does help performance as long as you don't get tested. But if you get tested at least a good year, sometimes a year and a half for something like Nandrolone or EQ, because of that long ester, be detectable. But yeah, I mean, um, so that, that's an important thing to note with, with GH is really a drug to, to be taking during those hard months and weeks of training coming up to the competition. And the day of competition, it's might not do much on, on that particular day. Yeah, and before, you know, the people out there get confused, uh, they're like, oh, you know, it's not an anabolic steroid. It's not. Human growth hormone is a peptide hormone. It's not an anabolic steroid, but it's very important to talk about it. You know, if we're going to talk about endurance, very, very important to talk about it. Because if you do have low HGH levels, you've got low testosterone levels, guess what? You're never going to succeed at endurance sports. you got to get those levels up. So if you're an older guy in your 40s and 50s, you got low levels of HGH, low levels of testosterone, you may want to look into getting those levels, you know, back to normal. We're, you know, back to where they were when you were 20 or 25. And I've said this on the podcast before, but for any new guys listening for the first time, maybe go over this real quickly again. Uh, human growth hormone is a completely different structure than testosterone or, or Anavar or, or Dianabol, whatever. Those are steroids. They're ring structures. They're not very large, not very complex. Human growth hormone, on the other hand, is very large, very complex, folded up protein structure. I make the comparison that in size and complexity, testosterone would be a golf ball. Human growth hormone would be a car in size and complexity, a lot larger, a lot heavier. And also growth hormone is specific to the animal that is specific to. Meaning while you can take that same testosterone and inject it into a horse or a dog, and it'll have the same effect, comparable effects as it has on a human, you can't take that human growth hormone and inject it in those animals and expect any sort of result, just like you couldn't take human growth hormone off of a, off of a horse or, or dog and use it on yourself. It just won't have the same effects. Those uh, It's a very complex folded up protein structure. That's very specific to the animals that produces it. So, yeah, human growth hormone and steroids, completely different realms in how they work and how the metabolites um, uh, downstream from the original uh, hormones work. We call them hormones, right, because they basically are carrying a message, but they're completely different in size, complexity, and how the body processes them, how the body utilizes them. Just want to toss that out there. I've said on the podcast several times, but we get new listeners all the time. It's just a good idea to make that distinction. All right, guys. So the next one we're going to talk about is SARMs. And again, SARMs are anabolic steroids. In fact, some of these compounds that we're talking about 
within SARMs aren't even SARMs. So the first one we have to talk about GW501516 Carterine, not a SARM, it's a PPAR agonist, but um, Carterine is a weapon. And it's really is a shame that some people out there are uh, so negative about it. Uh, because if you're miss you're missing out, you're missing out not using Carterine for uh, endurance. It's just an amazing compound for that. And the way Carterine works, being an agonist of PPAR, it actually allows your body. It's not like it doesn't. It's the opposite of using a stimulant. So again, we go back to what I was talking about revving up your car engine. But when you run the Carterine. It doesn't rev up your car engine like caffeine and caffeine st and stimulants do. So you take a pre-workout with stimulants, revs up your engine. Your engine's spinning really, really, really fast, going up into the red range, right? Wearing out, wearing out, wearing out. But with Carterine, actually allows you to push harder, longer without going into that red zone with your RPMs. So you can you can run, run, run more on it. And it won't push your heart rate up in the process. So it really is an amazing compound to use. And even as a weight weightlifting, when you're pushing out that extra rep, your heart rate's sky high and getting jacked up. When you're on carding, you push out an extra rep because your heart rate will be a, be a bit down, maybe 10, 15% lower in the same effort. So Really with Carterine, within a few days using this stuff, if you usually run like an eight minute mile, within a few days, maybe four or five days, if you take this every day, then you, you run that same mile with the same amount of intensity, same amount of intensity, you'll shave like 20, 30 seconds off your mile time. That's how amazing this stuff is. So we talked about stuff being obsolete earlier in the show. Carterine is a big reason why these other things are obsolete. So Another one, SR9009, it's a rib ERBA. It's not a SARM, but uh, SR9009, which is stenobolic, same concept as carterine, same concept. But with SR, it has a much shorter half-life. So the way I recommend you take SR is before any type of training. So the good thing about SR is you get a peak, a quicker peak, and then it comes back down and it's out of your system. So the benefit of that is you can take it right before your run or your bicycle trip or your swim. And it's going to be in your system within 15, 30 minutes. It's going to be peaking in your system. You can take advantage of it. Carterine, it's got a longer, it's got a much less of a peak. It kind of just gradually increases in the body after you take it and then it comes back down. So it's a drug, guys. It's not a hormone. It's a drug. And uh, so in this situation, you'd want to run, let's say, 20 milligrams a day of the carterine. And then with SR, you want to take 5, 10 milligrams whenever you need it before your run. If it's your competition day and you're running a 5K and you want to do your best, take go ahead and take 10, 20 milligrams of SR. You can take the carterine every day leading up to your race and then take the SR right before your race and you'll get you'll get some nice effects. It is up to uh, debate because some people believe if you take them both together, they kind of compete for the same receptors or, or whatnot. So I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure if that's true. I'm still waiting for more anecdotal evidence proving or disproving that. 
But I would say that you can get away with just running one of them, or you can get away from winning both and, and give it a shot and see what can happen. But I, you know, I can tell you for sure that, you know, it's, they work, they work amazingly well for endurance. So they allow you to go push more with less intensity. So you're going to basically not have to do as push yourself as much and you end up getting the same time, whether it's a swim, a bicycle or, or a, a run. And that's, that's what make these amazing. So it's, it's really one that you really need to add to your arsenal for sure. And I think if, back in the 2008 Olympics, Rick, pretty much every Olympian was using them because they weren't testing for cartering back then. They didn't have, they didn't have a, a way to test for it until after the Olympics, it wasn't banned yet. But then in 2008, everybody was using it. So, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those where you better be using it if you want to uh, stay up with people. What do you have to say? I agree. GW is probably the best performance enhancing drug for, for cardio endurance that we know of today. I think you covered pretty well the SOMS aspect of it, how to use it, what it does. I'll give a little bit of clarification. I like to bring context into some of these things we're talking about, why some of them are SARMs and some of them are not. So SARMs stands for Selective Androgen Receptor Modulator. So these are drugs that selectively attach to some androgen receptors and cause an action in the receptor. Now, when we say some of these are not SARMs, like GW, GW doesn't attach to the androgen receptor. It doesn't have any action there. So even though we lump them in as SARMs in that category and they're sold that way, and that's the way you search them out to find the information when you Google it, technically doesn't have any action on the androgen receptor. So it is not a SARM. Now, what is the difference between SARMs, the ones that do have an action in the androgen receptor, and your regular steroids? It's pretty simple. If you, if you look at a, a, a graph of the chemical structure of a steroid, they all look about the same. Unless you know what you're looking for, they all look pretty identical. SARMs, on the other hand, don't look anything like the steroid. Most of the SARMs out there, your, your Osterin, your LGDs, your S4, when you look at it on paper, it looks nothing like a steroid. Now, these SARMs have a part of their structure that will attach to the androgen receptor. Just that one side is going to be suitable to attach to an androgen receptor. But the rest of the structure, it's nothing like a steroid. So your aromatase enzymes, your reductase enzymes, your enzymes that would normally do and turn your steroids into different hormones that are cause side effects, like, like racing estrogen, racing DHT, causing the appearance of DHT-like hormones that are compete against natural DHT, all of these things, the SOMs are just not susceptible to. The SOMs are just not a good substrate for these other enzymes because they don't have a suitable structure for the enzymes to attach to them. So this is why you get nowadays some people preferring SARMs because although they have some action, not as strong as, as most steroids, but some action on the androgen receptor that's beneficial, 
outside of the androgen receptor, they're not being affected by enzymatic reactions, reactions from these enzymes that'll make them change into different metabolites that are just not desirable to, to our, to our ends, to our goals. So just a little clear up that distinction since you already covered uh, the dosing and the use of it. Just wanted to clear that up for guys in case you haven't listened to every other podcast where we discuss this subject. All right. So that sums it up for endurance compounds. I uh, hope you guys uh, learned a lot from this. Definitely let us know. Any other questions, come on the forums, evolution.org. Hit me up, Steve, SMI. All right. How can I hit you up, Rick? Hit me up. Uh, check out my social, www.rickyvrock.com. That's R-I-C-K-Y. V as in victory, R-O-C-K.com. Find me on social. Send me a message. If you have any questions, hit me up. RickyVRock at gmail.com. Hit me up with any questions you have. I'm also very active on the forums, evolutionary.org, elitefitness.com, anabolex.com. Just come check me out. Drop me a PM. I'm always around to help you guys out. Anything any of you guys need. Um, it doesn't have to just be questions about my own products that I produce. You can just ask any questions you have, and I'll make sure I take good care of you guys. With all these drugs and all these compounds that you take, I have a, a great liver, kidney, heart, pretty much every organ support product. N2Guard.com. Go to N, as in Nancy, the number two, guard, like guard, like guardian, .com, N2Guard.com. Check it out. Great product. It's, uh, you know, selling my, my legal over-the-counter supplements is what allows me to come back day after day and do this podcast for you guys. So please do come out and support. I don't have any other, uh, besides that and some consultation clients, that's how I pay the bills and I'm able to keep researching and keep coming back day after day to do this podcast for you guys. So uh, please come out and support. I really appreciate, I really appreciate each and every one of you guys that spends a little bit of your hard-earned money in my store, needtobuildmuscle.com. That's my store. Come check it out. If you, if you want to support me, support the show, and you'd like to buy a bottle of a product here or there, you're out of the country, you have some questions, just hit me up. RickyVRock at gmail.com. Go to RickyVRock.com. Find me. Ask me your questions. I help you find the product that is best suitable for your program. I help you put together your program. Just come and support, man. Um, uh, I appreciate every single message, message I get from you guys. All right, guys. Excellent. Talk to you guys next week. Send in your Q&As and we will read them on the air. Have a good one. Have a good one, Steve. Have a good one, guys. Guys, this is the required legal disclaimer. We are only sharing our experience from years of steroid use. We are not doctors, and none of what we say should be regarded as medical advice. Always check with your doctor before taking any drugs or starting any training program. Evolution Network podcast coming your way, guys. This is number 321. We have another Q&A episode coming your way. Steve Smee here and Rick, as always. How you doing? Hey, what's up, Steve? What's up, guys? How's everybody doing out there? All right, guys. So five great topics, guys. We're going to have a lot of fun with these, uh, as always. 
and we're going to get into the first one. So the first one is an interesting one. Let me pull up the question here that he, he wrote and he's over 50. We don't really talk about over 50, but we have a lot of listeners that are, that are over 50 or that are approaching 50. Um, that's great. You're halfway through your life when you're at 50, right? So he wants to know what's a good over 50 beginner steroid cycle. And, um, you know, first of all, if you get a, some, some guys, you know, they don't start using steroids. So they're over 50. Some guys get a late start in fitness. Some guys have been in fitness a long time. They just never got around to using steroids, um, or, uh, you know, PEDs. So they want to kind of get into it and it's just not reserved for the younger guys. Um, there's plenty of guys who are over 50. If you go to some of these bodybuilding shows, there's plenty of guys in their fifties, sixties, even seventies that are competing and they're on the, they're on the sauce. And, uh, we have plenty of guys on our forum who are over 50 as well. We have, um, uh, at least one moderator who's, who's over 50. So let's get into this, Rick. Uh, what's a good over 50 beginner steroid cycle? What do you think about this question that came in? All right. Well, if we're, if we're talking about a guy who's in his fifties, uh, going into 50 and he hasn't been a big steroid user, because if, if you've been a big steroid user, you don't need to, me to tell you what will work. You should know by now. Right. But if maybe you've only done one or two cycles and it's been, you know, a decade since the last time you juiced and you're going to get back into it. Look, start with blood tests, uh, see what your estrogen is at. Maybe you need to lower your estrogen a little bit. Take a testosterone booster. Start with that if you haven't done so before. Try mines into generate. Go to hcgenerate.com. hcgenerate.com. Check it out. And just give that a shot. Lower estrogen and use a testosterone booster. If see if maybe just shifting that balance between lowering estrogen, lowering sex hormone binding globulin a little bit, and just reactivating, you know, just trying to get more life out of your latex cells. See how that works naturally. And if you still need a little bit of extra help, if you still need a little bit of, um, of some extra androgens in your system, synthetics, then probably start off with the creams, which is our next uh, part. Start off with the creams. Make sure you get some good DHEA cream. There's DHT creams out there. Make sure you get testosterone cream. There are different creams out there just, just to add a little bit. Now, if you do those things, if you boost natural testosterone a little bit, lower estrogen a little bit, Lower sex hormone binding globally a little bit, which are usually pretty high when you're older. And you raise your own natural testosterone production. Maybe add a little bit of a cream. You're putting yourself now in the realm where you actually can build some decent muscle and, and get some tightness to your look, to your body. And you're not really on, on a real crazy uh, cycle. And you're not really doing anything that serious at that point. Obviously, the next step up from that is maybe swap out the cream for injections and get on TRT and make sure you get human growth hormone. If you're over 50, make sure you get a couple of IUs of human growth hormone every day. That's my plan. I've saved my human growth hormone use for my 40s and 50s. You know, I didn't burn that out when I was young. So now that I'm, I'm heading into 40, now I can use some, some human growth hormone and peptides now and go that route. So testosterone, human growth hormone, some estrogen management, 
boosting your own natural levels. If you're 50, you, you want to take the herbals because the herbals are, are going to help you enhance the whole testosterone experience. They're going to help with some of the mechanics of the erection. They're going to help. And especially tribulus is going to help the way your brain feels with that new testosterone. The, the tribulus just tends to make your brain more receptive to those androgens, plus everything else in the H to generate. So just make sure to give that a shot. And that's all you need. You know, if you're over 50 and you're just now getting started on steroids. And look, I'll tell you this, by the way, guys out there. There is an exception to the five to eight year rule that I talk about on this podcast where I tell people you should not touch steroids unless you're, you've been training for five to eight years natural. If you're 50 already, look, as long as you've made the lifestyle change to make the gym a part of your life, to make clean eating part of who you are, just throw the sauce on top of it. As long as you're giving yourself at least a year of just good, healthy, clean eating and good habits as far as training consistently, just throw in the sauce, man. You're 50, you don't need to train five years. Just give it a shot if that's what you want to do. Matt, as a matter of fact, I think steroids really, as you get older, your decision to use them should be a lot easier. See, if you're in your 20s, if you're in your teens, 20s, even early 30s, Really think about that shit. You don't want to use this stuff. It might have some, some side effects later down the line, 20, 30 years from now. And plus, your body's already making plenty of testosterone and human growth hormone and the things you need. So the decision is a lot harder. But as you get into your 40s, late 40s, 50s, 60s, what? It might do something 20 years from now. What? So what? Your testosterone is already low at that age. So add some more. Steroids in older forms, really make a really big difference for you. A lot, it's a lot bigger difference for a guy who's 50 shooting 200 milligrams of testosterone per week than a guy who's 25 shooting those 200 milligrams of testosterone per week. The guy who's 25 might shoot the 200 migs and say, this ain't shit. The guy who's 50 might shoot those 200 migs and say, oh my God, this changed my life. So as you get older, I think that the decision to pull the trigger and do steroids should get easier. I mean, what are you, what are you worried about? I'm telling you guys that as I go on now, I've been using steroids my whole life. And as I said, human growth hormone, I tried it here and there, but it's not something I've stayed consistent with. Now it's going to be something I'll, I'll probably uh, be adding a few months out of the year now, hopefully if I get good, good quality stuff and I can afford it, right? I'm going to try. <laughs> uh, but now, now it's time to mess with it because now I'm getting to that age where it's really lacking. So human growth hormone, estrogen management, testosterone. Let's start with the creams and testosterone boosters. If you need a little more umph, go with the injections. Stay on the testosterone boosters. You, if they make a nice difference, just, just cycle them in and out. But you should take them, my opinion. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, you gave good advice getting blood work done. I think that's just the step one. If you get blood work done you got low testosterone, then – then going on testosterone, it's going to make a world of difference. You'll feel much, much better. And then growth hormone. What happens if your growth hormone is low? Um, you know, as we get older, our testosterone levels drop, but our growth hormone drops even more rapidly um, to levels that are really, really low. So, you know, you can get good, really good results. If you have low testosterone and low growth hormone, which most people are going to because of environmental factors, because of the foods we eat, because of the water we drink, because of 
uh, you know, all kinds of things, the pesticides and herbicides that are all over the place, the air we're breathing, the oceans being polluted, all this stuff has caused an epidemic with low testosterone, low growth hormone. So if you find out you have low levels and you go on just a therapeutic amount of testosterone and a therapeutic amount of growth hormone, you'll feel much, much better. So that's what I would do. And then go from there. If you want to blast some steroids, blast some steroids. Just add it to your therapeutic dosages. And then you can always just run SARMs. You can run strong testosterone booster to N2 generate, what Rick mentioned. Excellent, excellent choice. And that can make all the world a difference. It can really give you an extra boost in the gym, extra boost in the bedroom, extra boost with your career and you'll feel a lot better. So, I mean, sky's the limit guys. Uh, just make sure you get blood work. Same goes for any, any age, but especially those over 50. Um, if you're, if you're under like 45, I wouldn't even bother getting growth hormone tested. It's really, really expensive. But if you're over 50, for sure, get your growth hormone tested as well as your testosterone. Let's see where things are at. All right, guys, next topic. Next one is using androgel testin versus injectable for TRT. Now, Rick, have you ever used the, the androgel? So let me, let me explain what the androgel is first. So androgel is a, basically it's like a cream. So it's a topical, it's a transdermal testosterone. It's a topical gel. You apply it to your skin and it does, it works its magic because it will absorb into the body and boost your testosterone levels. It's not as effective at doing it. It's not as a good absorption as just injecting straight testosterone would be, but it does the trick when it comes to getting your levels to a TRT dose. And a lot of doctors would rather give you the androgel or a test them as a prescription in the United States um, just so because they don't feel comfortable with you injecting. So, but a lot of doctors now these days are, are turning to injectables. I think five or 10 years ago, it was, it was much more easier to get the gel, but now um, doctors are kind of realizing, Hey, you know, uh, my clients are, demanding I give them the injectable. So now it's very unusual to have a doctor say, no, I'm not giving you the injectable. I'm giving you the androgel. So I would say the benefits, Rick, of the injectable over the gel, to me, one of the big benefits that I would think was that the gel, you have to apply it every day. So basically with the, the androgel, you apply five to 10 grams every day on your body. It's got to absorb. You can't shower it off. You can't um, accidentally get some on your kids or your, or your wife or your girlfriend or boyfriend, whatever. And that could be an issue versus just injecting once a week and being done. It takes five minutes to inject. You're good to go. The androgel, you got to make sure you take a shower, dry your skin. It's got to be a good, clean skin. It's got to absorb all this stuff. So to me, the injectable is a hell of a lot easier. 
than the than the than the uh, gel. But on the flip side, some people just don't want needles around the house if they have kids. I mean, Rick, you've got kids running around all the time where you are, so I'm sure you don't want your kid picking up a needle or something. He sees daddy injecting himself. So what's your opinion on this? Does that make sense? Androgel works great. Injections also work much better, obviously, than the gels. Um, topical delivery, transdermal delivery of medications, ingredients is very effective, extremely effective. For years, I've been using Yahimbi topically to burn fat. There were a lot of really good topical anti-estrogens. Formistane is a great anti-estrogen. Works a lot like Masterone would as far as lowering estrogen. You could apply it topically. Arimistane, there, are some, there were some arimistane versions in the market, probably still are, in a cream. It's an aromatase inhibitor. So delivering testosterone, delivering different hormones, via the skin it's it's been done for a while now there are some limits as to how much you can actually deliver through the skin you can load up a needle with a gram of steroids literally you can put a gram of steroids in a needle four cc's at 250 milligrams a cc shoot that and you just got a gram of hormones into your body now, in order to deliver a gram transdermally, it's going to be a lot tougher and you won't be able to do it in just a 24-hour span. You won't be able to do it right away. You need consistency. You need to maybe apply it a couple times a day. Some compounds that you deliver through the skin need conversion via enzymes on certain parts of the skin. That's why certain products will be, you'll get indications to use them on certain parts of your body because you have different concentrations of different enzymes in different parts of your body. So once you apply and those enzymes have been kind of, I guess you could say used up, there's a cycle between when they get cycled in and out. So then you won't be able to deliver a gram of anabolic steroids through your skin, just like that, like you could with injectables. So in that regard, it depends how much you need and what you need. If you only need just a little bit of just a little boost, get a little more muscle tone, drop a little bit body fat, get your dick hard in the morning. If you just need a little bit, Androgel will get you there. Older guy in your 50s, like just the last question we just handled, it'll get you there. You're fine. Little testosterone booster, I keep saying, manage estrogen. Put a little of your hand flame on your nipples. You're gonna have a nice look. You're fine. If you want more than that, if you want to put on 20 pounds of muscle, then I guess if you apply the androgel every single day and you, and you ate right and you trained right, over years you'll, gain, you'll, you'll keep gaining mass because it'll just keep your, your androgen levels over what your body could produce naturally, but it'll take a while longer. If you really want to like crunch in and gain 20, 30 pounds in, in two, three months the way most guys want to do, right? most guys listening to this, then yeah, you're going to have to inject because it is just a more efficient way to just get a lot more steroids into your body than you ever could through the skin. So if you need a lot more than that, if you need bigger dosing inside of your body, then yeah, then yeah, you really do need to be injected. You know, that, that, that is, I guess, the answer. You know, if you're just trying to enhance your life the way you feel, little androgen, little your hemp flame around the fatty section, you look tight, feel good, dick is hard, 
getting a little muscle tone, make some progress in the gym when you do go. Even if you're in your 50s, great. If you want to put on more mass, if you want to put on faster pounds, Andrew Joe won't get you there. You can't deliver enough. Go with injectables. Good deal? All right, Steve. What else you got? All right, guys. Next topic. Let's get into the next topic. How to stay motivated to lift right now. This is a really good one. We discussed this on prior podcast a couple times. But circumstances have changed since you last talked about it, huh, Rick? Um, you know, right now, like, a lot of people are going through a tough time. Um, in the United States, I read something that um, you make under 40000 a year. 40% of people are now unemployed. So it's hard to – you know, I always view the gym as something that, you know, things are good in your life. You have – you know, you want to better yourself. You got everything square. I like to go to the gym and just, you know, be able to relax. And then now it's like, you're scared to go to the gym. You're scared to pick up something. And then not everybody is being polite in the gym. Not everybody is wiping. Not everybody is wearing a mask. Not everybody is washing their hands. So how do you get motivated? Gyms are opening up all over the place. My gym um, actually just opened today, believe it or not, Rick, my gym opened today and I'm not motivated to go, man. So, um, you know, I'm more motivated just to stay home and work out. Why should I go back to the gym? And the thing is, you know, the gym environment is something that's really, really wonderful. The gym environment gives you that push, you know, you got hot chicks, you got beefed up guys and everybody's pushing each other, you know? So what are some ideas uh, to help you get motivated? What are you doing right now to stay motivated, right? You know, Steve, it's, it's unfair for me to even answer this question because I'm in the fitness industry. I do this podcast, right? We have two episodes a week. Now I'm doing the Elite Fitness Podcast. I uh, do that once a week. I run a supplement company. I'm always posting on Facebook. By the way, guys, if you're not following me on Facebook, then you're missing out because I'm going to post all of the podcast episodes there, updates, movies, posting content. Go to rickyvrock.com. That's R-I-C-K-Y-V is in victory, R-O-C-K.com. And you can follow me and check out some of the other content. So it's really unfair for me to answer that because it's my life. It's my lifestyle, staying in shape, keeping my stomach tight, keeping my body dry, experimenting on myself. I'm doing a uh, Anavar run right now because I'm going to write a little pamphlet for guys on, on Anavar only cycles. So I'm logging my progress. And then by the time I'm done with this little Anavar only run that I'm going to do, I'll be able to, to offer uh, some nice content to people. So my personal situation through all this, staying in shape, getting to, to the gym, and I'm not even going to the gym. I got my weights at home, obviously, right? But just getting my training done, making sure that I don't slip up on my diet. This is just what I need to do for work, for what I do. And I hopefully, maybe I can inspire other people. Hopefully, if you come out, follow me on Facebook, check out the other content, stay with this podcast. Maybe you'll stay focused on the goal. Maybe you'll stay focused on keeping your body strong, keeping your, your mind strong. I don't know. I think it's, it, I can't answer it because I'm already motivated. This, this is what I do every day. 
And for you guys out there listening, just keep watching, listen to this. Keep working out at home. If you don't feel good about the cooties at the gym, just work out at home. But keep training. Go for a run. Keep training. You know, don't stop training. Don't stop exercising your body. It's fine if you don't want to go to the gym. That's okay. It's not okay if you don't want to train. It's not okay if you don't want to push yourself. It's not okay if you don't want to push yourself to exhaustion. Get some endorphins moving through your, through your system. It's, uh, that's not okay. That's not all right. So, yeah, I mean, look, if you don't want to go to the gym, don't fucking go. You lift some weights at home. Uh, do some calisthenics. Just keep training. You know, keep training. And that's it. What do you think, Steve? I think some, some ways that you can get motivated is um, by buying some new shoes. How about that one? Buy some new workout apparel. That can get you motivated. How about some music? Um, music is very motivational. That's why they put music um, in movies, especially in uh, if you watch like action movies or movies where guys are working out. Remember the Rocky movies? They always have the, the little workout uh, montage and they have, uh, you know, the motivational music, stuff like that, you know? I'll give you some meathead talk for getting motivated. This is what you do. You get yourself a little book, a little journal. You don't need to buy a new one, just whatever you got laying around. Take a picture of today. Start writing the date, measurements, weights, everything. If you got a caliper, caliper your skin, pictures. Grab your shit, whatever you got in your cupboard. If you need to order some stuff, then order it up. And just see what you can do in four weeks with your body. Clean eating, clean diet. See what you can get. See how far you can see how far things can get you. You know, give that a shot. That'll get you motivated. Track your progress. Put together a good program and track your progress all the way and see how that does for you. You know, that, that's a good way to get motivated. See what supplements you got. Get some stuff. Put a program together. Pictures. Take pictures, you know, take pictures every day. That'll get you motivated. I think if you if you track, if you if you if you take pictures. If you got a program, if you got supplements you want to take, got this Anavar cycle, adding your hand flame, taking Entuslin, obviously taking Entugar with it, added H Generate ES is a testosterone booster for it. With my little 50 milligrams of Anavar per day, we'll do a little four-week run. We'll see how many, you know, how many points I can dial back on my body fat and if I can put on some some extra mass at the same time, just give that a shot. That to that motivates me getting all my shit together, getting all my products together, getting all my, all my gear together, running it, logging it, talking about it with my friends, coming back on a podcast and discussing it with you and, and the guys on the forums. So the pictures, I posted the pictures of the stuff on the forums, on Facebook too. That gets you motivated. You just put a program together and, and, and do it, run it. That, that, that'll, that'll get you off your ass real fast. If you come on the forum and start a thread or like a log and just track your progress, put up pictures, you know, say what you're doing, that will kind of keep you motivated because now everyone else is going to be pushing you on the forum. It's kind of like peer pressure. So that really works. Um, and it's a good way for you to kind of have a diary without having to actually write stuff down. Like in a book, you can actually come on the computer and type out a diary every day and kind of keep the progress up. So I think that's a really good idea. And then um, 
you know, one of the things you could do if you're single, and I've done this many times, sing, being single is a great opportunity to better yourself without, you know, having to worry about performing, um, about entertaining a, a person every night or spending time on the phone with them or spending time texting back and forth because that's what people love doing now. So if you're single, be like, look, I'm not going to date for four weeks or eight weeks or 10 weeks or 12 weeks, whatever. And just be like, look, I'm going to make my body the best body possible. I'm going to get my body so good that I'm going to be confident when I do go on on a date that that girl is going to be more attracted to me because she's going to sense that I'm confident and I have a lot of self-esteem, but I'm not cocky because being cocky is not, is not sexy at all. Being cocky actually is low self-esteem, but when you're a confident person, you don't got to show yourself off. You don't got to try to impress people. You don't got to put up a bunch of pictures of you with abs and stuff on dating websites. No, you can just put a picture of yourself wearing regular clothes and a girl's going to look at it and she's like, wow, this guy looks confident. He dresses sharp. He has a nice body. She'll know you have a nice body just the way you're dressed. You don't have to show it off. Just with animals. I read on a article a little while ago that, and it seems that women pictures of guys with pets on their profile. Just so you know, if you guys do the, the, the dating site thing, which I don't, I don't really partake in, but many of you out there know do. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure if you don't like animals, you're not going to get very far with, with uh, people these days. I mean, you won't get far with me at least. All right, guys. So the next one is best kitchen appliances that you recommend. So this is a good one. We actually had a guy on the forum. He was a salesman. He actually travels all over the Midwest and travels by car. He sells. He's a salesman. And uh, I actually suggested to him because he was complaining he can't find, you know, healthy options because, you know, restaurants on the road, it's all gut food, which it is. So I actually suggested that he can take some appliances with him. Uh, just put them in his car. Uh, there's a couple good ones that I recommend. Uh, number one, crock pot. Crock pots, crock pots are very, very good. The crock pot, all you need is some broth. You can make the broth on your own or you can buy the broth in the store. I, I get like the organic broth. It's got nothing uh, bad in it. Very, very good quality, high quality. You don't want to get the cheap broth. Put the broth in the, in the crock pot. Set it on like medium for the day. Throw in some meat, whatever meat you want to get, and then just let it let it slow cook all day and go do your thing, go to work, go to the gym, do whatever you got to do. And that thing will just slow cook all day. And then in the evening, you know, you can add some rice to it. You can add vegetables. I like to add rice, vegetables, um, and then like whatever meats I'm using, maybe some chicken and honey. I like to add honey as well. Honey is a secret ingredient. If you ever try it, you'll know that you can remember that I recommended it. And it'll, oh my God, it's, it's, it's amazing. Make sure you, uh, make sure that the, the, the meat is well cooked. You have the thermometer, stick the thermometer in the meat. 
and uh, it's it's a delicious meal. And then a nice thing about it is you can whole make a whole thing a crock pot and then just store whatever you don't eat. And it's kind of uh, it's a really really good meal. And uh, you know that's my recommendation. And you can just travel. Like you can put it in your car and travel anywhere as long as there's a plug in your hotel room. When you're traveling, you can just plug it in and 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 just go to the supermarket and grab grab the meat, the plain meat. Throw it in there. Get some vegetables. Get some rice. Throw it in there for the day. Very very easy to do. So. What's your recommendation, Rick, on a good kitchen appliance that people can use? Look, I think the, the three main appliances that I like, because I like electricity. I mean, gas, uh, cooking is fine. So the best way to cook, I found even to cook outdoors, is you need three things. You need a rice cooker with a second stage for your vegetables. You need an air fryer. And you just need an electric grill. And it is just a pleasure to cook outdoors if you have these three items. You need some extension cords. You might have to grab a couple of extension cords and, and use different plugs in the house so you don't overload any one of the circuits and, and have your fuses uh, popping off. But it is so nice. These things have timers on them. You could just set the timer, set the temperature, put the food on there and just forget it. Go, go sit down with your guest, entertain your guest, have fun. You know, it's, it's just a breeze. And so you, you set the rice. You could put pasta in there, noodles in there with your rice, whatever. On the second stage, it, it'll allow you to cook, uh, to steam your vegetables with all the steam coming off the rice. These are real easy to find out there, guys. And then with your, uh, with your grill, you could take sweet potatoes or even do some wings or whatever. What I'm in the air fryer, right out, you know, plug it in, extension cords right outdoors. Outdoor extension cords. You're fine. Just make sure you have outdoor grade extension cords, proper, obviously, right? And just make sure that if you have like, if you have like, if you have sweet, let's say if you're doing some sweet potatoes in the air fryer, you want to take the sweet potatoes, you're going to cut them up, and you put sweet potato wedges. You want to you want to slice them up, throw them in a big in a big bowl, and wet them up, and just make sure you slather them with coconut oil. Throw your salt and your spices on there, whatever you like to do, and then throw them in the air fryer. As they cook, some of that coconut oil is going to fall off of them and go into the catch pan right on the air fryer. So what you want to do is every uh, several minutes, you want to stop for a minute, take out the wedges, throw them back on the, on the big bowl where you, where you slathered them in, in coconut oil, drop some of the coconut oil that fell off of them. You know, you got to tilt over the catch pan and just bathe them in the same coconut oil that was coming off of them with your spices and your salt and throw them back in there. Do that a couple of times. They'll be nice and toasty outside and they'll just basically be fried sweet potato wedges and coconut oil on an air fryer. And they taste delicious. And again, your meats set your temperature. So it's just so nice to use electricity and cook and forget. And I know you said kitchen appliances and I'm talking about outdoors cooking, but these two, you, I mean, my, my air fryer and my rice pot, they stay on my kitchen shelf all the time. These are everyday use items. My electric grill, not so much. Uh, I do end up cooking a lot with gas just because the stove is there and I had a gas stove to begin with. When, even when I do outdoors, I, I don't like doing gas outdoors. It's just, it's just electricity. Just so much nicer. Set it, forget it. Um, when you have a, an electric pan and you're, and you're cooking meats and stuff on it, 
you don't have this issue with grease flaring up and, and charring your meat. You can control your temperatures. And if you have a, a well-designed uh, a flat iron where you're cooking all your meats, it'll, it'll drain all the juices out into a safe place. You don't, you don't have open fires. I mean, it's, it's really, really, it's just a really nice, pleasant, convenient way to cook indoors, outdoors, just air fryer, electric, uh, electric rice cooker. Look, now they even have egg cookers. They have these little egg cookers where you can make six hard-boiled eggs in a, just a, a few minutes with a tiny bit of water and a little, uh, a little device with a timer on it. A lot of this electric stuff, it just makes life so much easier. And it's so easy to clean compared to anything else you do out there. So I guess uh, when it comes to appliances, I'm just got to tell everybody, try to go electric as much as you can, in my opinion. Stuff is just a lot nicer to deal with. And this is for a few people, right? It's a good solution if you have a small gathering. If you have a large gathering, obviously, you might want to fire up the grill and just have those that gas just pouring out heat on a, on, on a lot of meat and a lot of stuff you're doing. And, and then it's worth the cleanup if you're, if, you, if you're serving, you know, 40, 50 people. But if you have a small gathering, less than 10 folks, I'm telling you, these three appliances will take good care of you and, and you, don't, you, don't have, well, you won't have a lot of cleanup afterwards. All right, guys. So the last topic of the day is how to prevent bodybuilding and your bodybuilding goals, your bodybuilding careers from getting in the way of your marriage or your relationships. And this is actually something that, you know, it hits home for me because I used to compete back in the day. I competed in powerlifting and I competed in, in endurance. And when I was at my peak in uh, endurance, as an endurance athlete, I was in a relationship with a very, very nice girl. And um, the running did, did affect us. It did affect us because, you know, I would go, I'd have, I'd go running, you know, do some six mile runs in the evening and, you know, and um, it kind of drove a wedge in with us. And it was, it was really a weird situation because I felt like she wasn't supporting me, you know, as much as she, she should in my goals. And um, it, it was hard, you know, in that situation. Um, I think she felt like I wasn't giving her enough attention. And it kind of, it, it, I think it was one of the reasons our relationship got doomed, you know? So I think it's a, it's a definitely a valid question. And I can see in bodybuilding it even being a worse situation because in bodybuilding you're, you know, it's, you have to so like focus on it. If you want to succeed in it, you have to like so focus on one thing and you kind of have to put your family and your relationship on the back burner. There's a lot of that goes into into bodybuilding and when it comes to competitions. So, I mean, I can definitely see this as like a valid question. And let's say the person you're with just doesn't understand fitness. They don't understand how fitness is important to you. They don't understand how the hobby, the life. So maybe they have a problem with you spending, you know, an hour, hour and a half, you know, commuting and spending time at the gym and then commuting back home. Maybe they have a problem with that. Um, you know, so it hasn't been a big problem for me in the past, but it, I could see how it could affect people. And it, it's been a problem, you know, once or twice for me. Uh, so I'm bringing Rick here. Do you think that that's been an issue? You're pretty, you're a pretty conservative guy though, because you usually date like women who are, you know, not as career oriented and who don't mind you, um, 
you know, monetizing fitness and putting in a lot of time in fitness and stuff, right? I'm very independent. I, I've, I've always been. So I kind of do the things that I know I need to do and, and kind of expect, uh, expect things to just harmonize with whomever's in my life. If it becomes just too much of a, of a friction, too much of a friction point, then it's just not worth it. You know, we're not aligned. It took me years, years and years to, to learn that. When it comes to actually having bodybuilding dreams, when you're a bodybuilder, you have to like take your meals with you everywhere. You have to make sure that you have to make sure to prioritize your eating schedule, your training schedule, your drug taking schedule, your supplement schedule. That has to take priority over everything. And like Kai Green said on a video I saw a few days ago, and the better you get, the less room for mistakes that you have. The more muscle you build, now this part I'm saying, the more muscle you build, the more you refine your physique, the easier it is to slip away from you if you just let up. The more muscle you hold on you, just the, the, the more progress you've made closer to just the perfect body that you're looking for, the easier some of that more recent progress will slip away from you if you let up. So you'll find most bodybuilders have a significant other that supports their lifestyle that doesn't feel threatened. You see, the fact that you have to focus so much on the way you look and how you eat and the drugs you take and you're sleeping and, you, and everything, where you can't be on call for certain things, where vacations are not just any regular vacation because you still have to get your protein in, you end up having to find significant others that understand it to the point where they don't feel, where they don't feel threatened by it the way most people would. So you have to, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a hard lifestyle being a bodybuilder, just that consistency. It, it's the hardest part of being a, a professional bodybuilder. Besides the fact that you have to have the genetics to tolerate the drugs over, over decades and also have the, the muscle structure but just the consistency. And it's that consistency where you can let up a day or two per month and be okay. No, that's, that's too much. Letting up two days per month, it's 24 days in a year. That's almost a whole month of progress that you're not getting. No, you have to be consistent to the hour with every meal, with every hour of sleep. You have to be consistent. And so if, you're, if that, this is what's in your heart, this is what you want to do in your significant other. It's not in tune with that. If they can't be by your side and understand that this is extremely important to you and you live a, a different lifestyle, if they can't be there for you, not be threatened by it, you're going to have to either give up the lifestyle or give them up. But both are probably not going to be able to survive in the same space. What do you think, Steve? You know, I take a different perspective on this. What about the situation like, like I don't drink at all. And uh, I'll tell you, it really, it really, um, listen, women our age, uh, I know women my age, a lot of them, you know, they like to drink, especially like wine. They love to go to wine tasting. You know, they have wine memberships. They like to go to the Whole Foods and, and go on the wine aisle and grab a nice thing of wine and champagne and cheese and stuff like that. And, you know, that's, that's a type of thing that I, you know, that a lot of women, they want the guy to, 
to drink with them. You know, they want to take the guy to the wine tasting and that's just not my scene. Like I'm not one of those, you know, preppy guys who, you know, likes to go to wine tastings and I've got like my sweater and my scarf and like the, the goofy hat and stuff. And, but I'll, I'll go, I'll go with my, uh, my girl, you know, to the wine tasting and stuff, but I don't, I don't partake in the drinking, but I go and I watch her and she seems to have a good time. So, I mean, you could still participate in it without actually, you know, drinking. So, uh, but yeah, a lot of women, I can remember I, I dated this girl and, you know, she was a drinker. Um, she was in, uh, she was in the military. And one of the things that they teach you in the military, those of you who are veterans, you know, this, uh, they teach you to drink. One of the things, uh, it's kind of like a peer pressure thing. So she drank like a, a sailor, a drunken sailor. She would drink beer and Every night she drank and she'd go out uh, once or twice a week and go out with her friends from work and they'd get wasted and she'd come home three, four o'clock, you know, taxi would bring her home. So, I mean, it, it, it's, um, you know, to me, if a girl drinks like that, I'm, I will never date someone like that again. It's just not going to work. And on the flip side, you know, right off the bat, you know, I try to make women understand, look, I'm not going to go with you. I'll go with you to the wine tasting but I'm not going to drink any wine with you. Um, you know, I don't mind if you have a beer, we go to the game. I don't mind if you drink a beer, but I'm not going to drink any myself. So you just got to make it clear right away. Look, that's part of getting to know somebody, especially like on a first date. And she should be asking you those questions on a first date, you know, about your, about your, uh, your lifestyle. And so those are important questions. And if she doesn't agree, you know, to date you, even though she knows that she's never going to take you to a restaurant, to a nice winery, to Napa Valley and all this stuff to drink because every woman my age, that's their dream vacation, right, Rick? They want to go to Napa Valley and they want to visit the wineries and they want to drink and all that shit. And I'm not, you know. Yeah, that's why I don't date women your age, Steve. Well, I think younger women are more into going to clubs and, and drinking hard liquor, though. So... It kind of, it's, I, I don't know. It just seems like a lot of women drink nowadays. They don't smoke. A lot of people fucking drink, bro. Yeah. A lot of people drink. Alcohol has been part of our civilization since there was civilization. Apparently, and I don't quote me on this because I could be wrong, but apparently the oldest forms of writing that were actually found were counting uh, some, some of actual, some of the stuff that was used to make liquor for the time. It seems like we might have uh, started settling and planting crops so we can have a reliable source to make alcohol. You know, I know in the 1800s, the United States, alcohol was drank, drunk pretty, pretty regularly because um, water was very hard to come by. Good, good, clean water was hard to come by. So they would have to drink either like apple cider or they have to drink water, especially around the Civil Yeah, depending where you were. Yeah, depending where you were at, yeah. But like a lot of past presidents from the from the, that era were drunks. I think Ulysses S. Grant was a, was an alcoholic. Um, I, several of the presidents around that time were were alcoholics, and it was just something. Yeah, like there's just there are just functional alcoholics and non-functional alcoholics. You know, there are alcoholics that can become world leaders and see a country through a crisis, and then retire, and then continue to die drinking and then you have a guy who just has a six-pack after work every day and watches sports center and he'll never fucking accomplish a fucking thing in his life and all he does is just he's just joe six-pack one six-pack after work and that's just enough to cripple his whole life 
and then you'll get some guys that are world leaders, even though they're drunks. And uh, it's, man, it's just, it's just what it is. It's some people, like every drug, some people can handle certain drugs. Some people can't. Yeah, but I mean, I refuse to uh, date a, a drunk or alcoholic. It's just not worth it. It's not my job to play, you know, AA, you know. With, with I sport, define you know? date. Define date. I'll go out with girls that drink. I don't care. But uh, like making a life with somebody who drinks? Fuck no. No. Gotta be, she's got to be in the gym grind. She's got to watch yeah. her diet. You know, all of that. But just like someone to hang out with casually or shit, even, even going on a, on a trip with or something, why the fuck not? You can go ahead and drink. That's fine. No well, issue. The, well, the one I was talking about who's in the uh, military, she was abusive towards me. So she'd get abusive when she would drink. And um, yeah, that was around the time I actually ended up like, you know, going to the hospital a few times because of her. I've spent time with girls on, on places, trips where they drink. I don't drink and it's fine. Remember, just off the top of my head, I remember this girl, Miami Beach. We went, I hung out with her there for about four or five days. I had a, there's a, a business uh, associate I used to see in Miami Beach and she went with me this time. So went, had my meeting. It's only one day, but stayed four. And she drank all four nights. I hung out with her. You know, we, we'd already intimate, so it was fine to be intimate with her when she was drunk because we'd been intimate before when she was over. It's fine. But uh, it was cool. You know, I hung, I'd hang out with her. We'd, we'd get to the hotel, make love. Next day, she was, like, passed out. I'd get out of the room, go get my cardio in, go lift my weights. I mean, what you can do in a, in a hotel with what they got. And then, you know, by the time I was, like, Already almost halfway done through my day, some emails answered and everything. Just she was just rolling out of bed, feeling feeling nasty. It was just it was great because <laughs> you just I just don't I felt like I had almost half of the day to myself. You know what I mean? It was just it was cool. I just didn't sleep a lot. Only slept four hours, but as long as you're not intoxicated, sleeping four hours is fine. You just get up, go get your training done get some work done, get shit done. And before they're rolling out of bed, I don't, I don't mind it at all. Obviously I'm not going to make a life with this person, but just to have just a, a pretty sweet thing to have him in bed while you're here on a, on a business uh, meeting slash just quick weekend, uh, weekend getaway. Why the fuck not? And going to, and going to listen. And, and it's pretty fun. Actually, if, if you're like me, just a happy person you go to a club where people are gathering and they're drunk it's kind of cool it's like you're invisible it's like you got superpowers you're like walking in between people listening over conversations watching people do weird stuff it's it's something else it's cool so i guess that all depends on on the context of you know they say there's the there's how does that old saying go steve that cliche there is the right girl and the right now girl right so it depends how serious you're taking things and, and how involved this person is going to be in their lifestyle, whether them being a, a social drinker or just a fucking alcoholic, if that really matters, you know? One of the red flags, I once went on this girl, we met up for lunch. It was like 12 o'clock and she was drinking like hard liquor already. Like it was like 12 o'clock. So um, that was like a red flag that this person, uh, Red, red flag is in what? And it's in like, okay, she probably, I'm probably not going to take her to meet my mother. Or red flag is in like, oh shit, I better get some condoms because she's going to want to fuck today. Like red flag is in what? <laughs> no, I mean, red flag is in the, we're dealing with like an alcoholic here. She's got to be drinking hard liquor at 12 o'clock noon. 
Yeah, I mean, um, and again, just imagine the, what she's going to be drinking. I at yeah, I wouldn't want her waiting for Junior after school. Definitely, yeah, probably not. Yeah, probably, probably yeah. wouldn't want her waiting for Junior after school. No, not driving Junior home. You mean? Yeah, no. But would I mind her laying next to me tonight? Not a big deal. It's fine. <laughs> it's not an issue. Why? Why not? You know what I mean? It's fine. I mean, it depends. Again, it depends what. It depends the context of things, right? Well, my morality uh, makes me uh, reject. Um, Get the fuck out of here, women, womanizing. You're a woman. You know, if you got a map of the world and you got like tax, stuck a tax <laughs> on every city that you hooked up with a girl. Miami Beach. Talk about Miami Beach, the Bronx, uh, Vegas, California, Colombia, Argentina, Venezuela. What what all countries? Uh, fucking. That's China. all the plugs that I know. Just say that. Just say that. We run out of tax if we had to do that. We're actually gonna do that in the next podcast. I'm not. Um. I'm not. Just cut it out, man. You're gonna make people at home think that, that you're you're serious. Come on, man. Cut it out. <laughs> all right, guys. Listen, evolutionary or guys, keep the questions coming. Uh, we hope we answer your question. I don't even remember what the question was on this, but I don't know. We ended up talking about something totally different. Yeah, uh, yeah. Went we, down that rabbit hole. We, we appreciate you guys listening, guys. Um, that's the fun part about this podcast. We just uh, we improv it. So uh, we have another episode next week coming. We have another compound episode. We have another Q&A. So check it out. All right, guys. Steve, Smee, and Ray, have a good one. Have a good one, Steve. Have a good one, guys. Guys, this is the required legal disclaimer. We are only sharing our experience from years of steroid use. We are not doctors, and none of what we say should be regarded as medical advice. Always check with your doctor before taking any drugs or starting any training program.